Yo, yo, welcome back to another episode of Knowledge Under the Influence. I'm your host, Martez. You can find me on Instagram at Martez underscore for show. That's F-A-S-H-O-O, actually. I actually changed my name on Instagram, which is like, because I separated my Instagram from my like podcast page. But today, uh, for the second time, believe it or not, (laughs) I have Justin the founder of Nomad Magazine in the building. Justin, what's up, man? Hey, Martez. Man, so we back here for the second time. The first time, it w- so what happened was Justin brought me over here for this this entrepreneurship group that we started called Spark. And um, he was sending some files over from the interview that we did, the, the video files, and I didn't have enough room on my laptop. Well... I'm new to this Mac Apple shit. Like, I don't know how to use this shit. And I just got deleting shit. I was happy. I was overwhelmed. I just started deleting shit. Little did I know I was actually deleting actual audio from the interview. So it just sucks. So thanks, Justin. Was, You're welcome. No, I. so, I mean, we're here again doing it again. So, man, Justin, just take me back to, to, to where you from, man. Where you from? Uh, so that's actually a really tough question for me. Uh, where I'm from is a multitude of different places. So okay. I was born in Concord, California. And since then, I've moved 14 different times across four different countries. And let's say that the United States is the fifth country. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I've lived in Brussels, Belgium, Paris, France, uh, Brisbane, Australia, Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. And how was that? How old were you like when you were there in the United Emirates? So in the United Arab Emirates, I was uh, 12 to 13. Okay, we'll come back to the experience being 12 or 13 (laughs) there. I want to hear this shit. Yeah. So where where I like to say that I'm from Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, just because that's the place that I've spent the most time of the time of my life which i can remember mm-hmm. what, what age were you when you moved to texas uh so i was 15 when i moved to texas 15 why did you move around so much so my father he worked for exxon mobile for 18 years Shit. Uh, and his jobs basically ranged from um in in northern california it was managing a uh, refinery. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I was born in Concord, California to actually, um, managing the Eastern hemisphere, uh, oil exports. So anything that was exported in the Eastern hemisphere of the globe, mm-hmm. he actually had a hand on. So your pop, your pop sound like he real important to Exxon. Like what would be his, like, like, I mean, for that long, what was his job title? Uh, it it ranged every two years. What so was the highest he got in the, in the company? So with with Exxon Mobil, they don't rank it based on job titles. So okay. They don't. Uh, they they have titles like director and executive president and executive vice president or something like that. Uh, but the way that people actually describe it is based on a numeric uh, mm-hmm. kind of integer. So you you go from one to sixty. 60 being the CEO, and then anything above 50 is uh, exec status. So my dad just barely made exec status. Damn. 
Hey, hey, shout out to your pops, because, I mean, I couldn't, I wish, I don't even know my pops, but still, shit, to, to get that high up in Exxon, like, I mean, like, what would it, what did that mean for you, like, growing up? Because, I mean, if y'all moving all over the spot, it's not like your pops is just, like, uh, just a random dude working at the entry level who just travels a lot. I mean, I would consider that pr- a pretty important role as as he kept moving up. Like, so how was how did that affect your childhood, do you think? So, because I mean, you can't make friends like you, you fucking you make friends and then you move and then you try to learn the language and the culture and then you move. And so, like, how did that affect you? Uh, for me, it was actually just a normal part of life. Yeah. So whenever anybody talks about my my childhood, I all I can think about it in terms of my childhood is that it was just regular life. Right. It was normal life uh, like your childhood mm-hmm. was normal life. So moving around every two to three years and having friends move every year was just a normal fact of life. At the beginning of the school year, I'd make new friends. And then at the end of the school year, it was basically a Russian roulette to see who was moving. Oh, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, yeah, if you're doing that much traveling, it's just like being like a, a army brat. Like, you know, s- some people are living with their parents and their parents are higher ups in companies and they're moving just as much as you're moving they're traveling if they're if their parents are are in the army or in the military they're traveling so you might encounter those same type of kids that are growing up and are accustomed to this lifestyle so when you was younger like what did you what did you want to be when you were growing up when i was younger i really really I didn't really have any aspirations of being like a doctor or a firefighter or a pilot or anything. I really wanted to be an engineer. And I know that sounds really cliche because my father is a chemical engineer and my sister today is actually a chemical engineer as well. Uh, but I, I knew that... So yesterday she wasn't a chemical engineer? Huh? She she wasn't a chemical engineer yesterday, but today she is? Is that, what are you saying? So today she just became a chemical engineer? No, 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 okay. no. She's, she's been a chemical engineer uh, for about uh, three years now. Okay, cool. Yeah, so she got her degree about the same time that I did. Uh, she graduated from University of Michigan, or sorry, University, uh, no, sorry, Washington University of St. Louis. How the hell did you get University of Michigan out of any of that? Like, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It, it's been a long day. So, okay, so you, you wanted to be an engineer but it's crazy because like being, it's not like it's. I don't think it's crazy at all because you like is is like it sounds crazy because that's what your dad was. But it's like when you're growing up, we're influenced by so many things. So that's, I mean, it makes sense. Like if you don't have, if your dad was in like the medical field, there would be a push towards the medical field. Like even if you didn't want to do the medical field, it's like that's what you're kind of exposed to. So your dad being an engineer, you know, chemical engineer, it's kind of like planting that seed in your head. And it's like, okay, maybe I don't want to do chemical engineer, but that engineer, like I still want to do some form of engineering. Yes. So, yeah. So it's just crazy, like being a kid and like how much you're influenced by like people around you. Uh, hold on one second, Martez. The train's about to pass. That's okay. I, I can't even hear the train. You, you can't even hear the train I, right now? No, I can't hear the train. I mean, I, I can hear it like out of my ear, but I don't think I can. Okay, there it is. I can hear it. <laughs> well, that's cool. We're not we're not gonna stop the show because of the train. Um, so then you wanted to be an engineer. What uh, what school did you go to? So I went to three universities. Uh, the first university was the University of Tulsa in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. where I studied or specialized in uh, mechanical engineering, and more specifically in mechanical engineering, it was more fracture mechanics. Uh, so for three and a half years, I actually studied how to break things. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to a particular joint or uh, a mechanism in and of itself, I'm able to actually point out exactly where uh, the crack is going to start. 
Okay, wait. Propagate. Let's just let's rewind. There's a few things wrong with that sentence because it's just funny. <laughs> We're talking about joints. In my head, the first because you're like I know how to break things. So I'm like, damn, <laughs> a joint. He know how to break a joint down. That means I can come over here and you can roll up some weed. And then you say you know what a crack going. So I'm like, damn. <laughs> So right now, Jesse, you sound you sound like a chemical engineer. Like you sound like you really, you know, a drug dealer. But that's that's just a. I'm like, what? I know how to break things. I know how to break a joint, and then uh, I can show you what a crack need to go. And I'm like, wait a minute. Sorry, sorry. That, that's actually the other side of the family. That's not actually me. I I'm the uh, the black swan of the family. Okay. And, and went towards mechanical engineering. All right. So you you went to school for the first the first university. Um, you was getting degree in you're still getting degree in engineering or yeah mechanical engineering okay so the second university that i went to was the university of texas in arlington and i i did something a little unique at uh, uta um when i first arrived i wanted to do i, I wanted to take uh engineering courses so i was going to continue on with my studies in mechanical engineering but i also uh additionally uh, took on a major called aeronautical engineering. And there's a difference between aerospace and aeronautical engineering. So aerospace mm -hmm. deals with space. Aeronautical is more wind flow, or not wind flow, airflow uh, at a subsonic speed. So picture like commercial jets, commercial turbines, uh, anything like that, subsonic. Okay. Um, and then... Midway through the time that I was actually at UTA, um, the physics professor actually convinced me to take on physics as well. So not only would I, was I doing mechanical engineering, aeronautical engineering, but I was also doing uh, physics mm. as a third major. So I was triple majoring at UTA. That's shit crazy. I, 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 a major and a minor was too damn much for me in college. Like, I think to have a, a triple major is like, I think your social life kind of changes, but I mean, like it's kind of weird because it's kind of it's kind of congruent. Like if you're like used to like moving around like your whole life, it's like what type of social life do you necessarily need? Like you need to have that discipline and shit in order to like pursue anything in like the the medical field or uh, to be an engineer. Like you have to really crack down and be disciplined. Like you, your social life had to suck. I mean, you probably were had friends and shit, but you had to be disciplined. So during the time that I was actually at UTA, while I was triple majoring, I not only started my fraternity chapter, Kappa Alpha Order, mm -hmm. but I actually became the president of uh, Kappa Alpha Order at the during the time that I was there. So mm -hmm. not only was I running a chapter, but I was also taking uh, <laughs> just these absurd amount of credits. Uh, mm. To actually complete three degrees. Yeah, I mean it's crazy because like even in college, like you can only I think at Eastern like you can only um, take up to like nineteen credit hours. So how many fucking credit hours are you taking? If you three degrees, like so at UTA, I was actually taking eighteen credit hours on a per semester basis. Okay. And the crazy thing. So let's move on to the third university. The third university that I went to was Mercer University, okay. and the reason why I transferred from UTA over to Mercer University was because. Um, I actually failed out of my engineering school. And so they told me you can either start taking business classes and get a business degree or you can leave. And I was like, okay, sayonara. How the fuck did you, f like you just wasn't focused or like what was you, you were doing a crack. That's what it was. What happened? <laughs> so I remember I started the fraternity chapter. Yeah. So my social life actually took more of a precedent because mm -hmm. I was seeing it fail. 
And once I was seeing it fail, I, I started taking on more of a leadership position. And so uh, this team-based activity uh, started to really take a focus on my life. Right, yeah. So I, I saw my fraternity brothers, and it was about 15 to 20 of them. And the chapter was actually financially failing. And so nationals came in, and they said, you need to either turn this around in the next semester or so, or we're going to have to shut it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. So I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to make sure that uh, these 14 guys don't, they just don't lose the work that they actually put into it. So you, so on top of doing that, you also had to like make sure they were like um, academically inclined to stay on the fraternity to make it an active line to keep going? Yeah. So or like to bring more members and... Right. So Kappa man. Alpha Order actually has the highest GPA across the nation. Um, it's around 3.111 uh, is the, the national average. Mm-hmm. Damn, I thought you were about 3.14. I'm like, that's power, motherfucker. I know power when I hear power. <laughs> All right, so you got, you got to your third university. I flunked out of your second university. Um, yeah, but- so the, the third university was Mercer University, and uh, uh, they didn't have aeronautical engineering, and I didn't want to take any more physics classes. My, right, yeah. my mind was already bent to hell from the, the last physics classes yeah. that I was taking. <laughs> so I, I only majored in mechanical engineering, but I started taking business classes at uh, Mercer University. And I, I started working with this graduate level professor as mm-hmm. an undergrad. And because I was actually working with this graduate level professor, I started taking classes at two different campuses. So there was the main campus where I was taking undergrad classes. Mm -hmm. And then there was the graduate level classes at a completely separate campus uh, that I was also taking. But the two weren't linked, but they would count towards your, the overall curriculum. Like if you were taking 19 at one and three at the other one, like they would all, I mean, you was taking 21 credits. Did they, they didn't know that's correct. So the registrar actually called me and they said, I think that someone is spoofing your identity <laughs> uh, because you're you're not only are you taking too many credits, but you're taking credits at two different campuses. By the way, you're they're an hour and a half apart. So you're telling me that you're actually driving an hour and a half to go to this other campus. You were every driving week. What? Yes. Damn, you wanted it that bad. I, I wanted it that bad. And uh, the graduate level professor, I mean, the experience that I was getting with this graduate level professor, uh, the business that we were actually working on was with two inventors. Um, The first inventor, he actually developed a shotgun shell company uh, called Polywad in southern Georgia. And then the second inventor is actually a homegrown uh, chemist. Mm Mm-hmm. And he didn't graduate from high school. Oh, shit. Yeah, so he had a ninth grade education, and he developed this platelet compound that actually puts out fires. Hmm. Not only does it put out fires, it actually keeps um, material from burning Yeah. up to 20 minutes at 4,000 degrees. Oh, that's sick. And I mean, it's crazy to me to hear stories like that because it's like some of the most successful and like, like I mean insanely smart people like don't have they didn't finish school they dropped out or flunked out of college but like to stop you know at ninth grade like to stop like this kid i mean he was just smart like just smart like you don't have like if some people are just like just fucking they have it like and some people like the school system sucks because some people are like it's either 
a few things wrong. Like it's too easy for some people. Um, it's it's hard. It's too hard. Or I forgot the third one. So yeah, you're you're right on the money. The uh, the research that I've been doing in in terms of education is those two things. Yeah. So it's either too easy or it's too hard. Or the third is your friends drop out. Yeah. So if your friends drop out, then of course you're going to drop out and follow them. That's that influence. Because that's yeah, I mean, that's what you know. Like that, Exactly. Yeah. It's like, shit, okay, they dropped out. Like, that's what I'm going to do too. Exactly. Yeah. So this guy just became bored, basically, yeah. is what happened in ninth grade. And he dropped out because he didn't see the applicability towards his, his future. Yeah. And so uh, I stepped in and started working with this graduate level professor. He introduces me with these to these two inventors. Mm-hmm. And at the very beginning, it was a verbal agreement because I was a very naive undergraduate student. <sighs> Get everything in writing. Mm. But <laughs> very naive undergraduate student. Yeah. And <laughs> we started working together and the, the two inventors were like, all we want are royalties. We don't want any equity in the company. We don't want anything to do with what you're doing basically. Mm. So you can use these products as much as you want for as long as you want. Um, just, we don't want to have to do anything with the company. And I was like, great. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. So I started developing this product. I basically cobbled together a a PVC pipe with some hairspray and created a potato cannon Mm. uh, to actually show off to firefighters. And the way that I would actually pitch this chemical compound to firefighters is I would dunk my hand into the compound and then I would try and burn it with a fuel-fed blowtorch for the 10 minutes that I was speaking to these firefighters. Man, that's insane. That's some shit only a white person do. (laughs) That's just like me saying, you know what? I can't swim, but I'm about to try to prove that I can hold my breath underwater for 10 minutes. I'm not. No, why do, why do y'all come up with some crazy shit? Like, Well, I, I tested it thoroughly by taking pieces of wood and basically dunking it in this compound. And a, then I had, a piece of wood is not your arm. No, I know. So <laughs> I, I basically timed it and came up with how how long it was going to take at a specified distance for the piece of wood to actually get burnt. Mm-hmm. And that's how I basically scheduled the the speaking mm-hmm. and i would be able to actually draw out the speech if i needed it uh or the time that i i needed to actually get the the impact but the impact was sure yeah and so a bunch of firefighters they actually came up to me afterwards and they're like okay so we want to we want to do a test we want to actually do a fuel uh, a field test mm-hmm. to see what actually happens and so I came out with my PVC pipe and hairspray, literally using hairspray as a combustible component mm. to actually launch a cobbled together uh, plastic water bottle as a cartridge mm-hmm. with this compound. And I would basically launch it into a building to hope mm-hmm. that I actually put out the fire. That's sweet, though. And, and that's how I did the, f- the field test. Yeah. So these firefighters... <clears throat> They were like, there's no way that you can do it. We're going to hit the door in 30 seconds. There's no way that you can actually put out the fire from yeah. this field test in 30 seconds. Basically loaded a couple of cartridges, <laughs> put in my hairspray, yeah. pop, did the same thing, pop, Damn. and the, the fire was done. Holy shit. That was it. That shit is sweet. I mean, I wouldn't have been playing with that shit. I don't play with fire. I don't play with, you know, I don't play with none of the elements of earth, like fire, water, 
I don't smoke weed, so I ain't fucking with no plants, no earth, no fucking poison ivy. I ain't doing none of that. I don't even fuck with wind. Like, if this is a tornado warning, I am in the house under the fucking bed. I know how the drills went in fucking elementary. I'm not playing with none of that <laughs> shit. And you playing with all of that shit. You can flirt with death if you want to, motherfucker. I'll be over here doing my podcast later on, though. <laughs> it's okay. I, I'm a cat. I've got nine lives, and I've already burned through four of them. Uh, you white, you ain't no black cat, cause black cat really <laughs> fuck that. Some bad shit happened with a black cat cross your path. So fuck all that. <laughs> Listen, man. All right, so you out of college, cool. You end up getting your degree, man. It's it's, it's crazy to go through fucking three. I, I hated one school shit. If I'd have flunked out, I'd be like, fuck. I remember I got on probation the first time, and I was like, oh really? I'm on probation. How many, how many more strikes I get? And I was like, fuck that. I was damn near done with college. And I was only on academic probation that one semester, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is it. The fuck y'all like it? Like I, what's wrong with 1.9? I did it in high school, and y'all accepted me with a 1.9 GPA, but I can't bring that same energy here. Fuck y'all. So I was almost out, but. Then I see my friends weren't doing the opposite. They weren't flunking out of college. So I wasn't going to be that loser friend that flunked out. Fuck that. All my friends was like, you know, excelling in school and they were partying. I wasn't even partying. So I'm like, fuck it. I can't flunk out. Like, what's my excuse? I'm not even going to parties and I'm at a 1.9. They're going to parties and shit and their grade point average is still better than mine. So, yeah. So, I mean, I end up having to turn my my whole GPA around because I'm like, okay, I've seen this shit before. I did this shit in high school. Like, I graduated high school probably with like a two point. Three like my first semester ending of high school, I had a one point eight. So by the end of the second semester, I had like kicked it up a notch and fucking and graduated like a two point three. Like, but it took a lot. Um, and my friends were not flunking out of college, so I wasn't about to do it. Although I did, when you friends with somebody, they they your friends like let's say you guys when you first get to college, you want to take all the same fucking classes. Everybody wants to take the same classes, stick together. Before I knew it, I was a fucking uh, political science major. Like, that's how many courses. Like, I took, like, so many courses towards it because I'm, like, trying to stay with my friend. That, that's actually a – there's a firm statistic that actually talks about freshmen who change majors uh, halfway through their first year. It's 80%. Yeah. So 80% of freshman students actually change their major in the first year. And then of those 80, another 60 change their major again. See, I didn't do that. I, I, I was just going, like I said, we were just taking some of the same classes. Like one of my friends, she went to school, she was going to school for political science and um, she ended up changing to like sports management or something. But like that was my only friend at the time in college. So shit, I'm like, fuck, she takes this class, I take this class. But the main, I, the main reason for these changes is because you, you take the classes that your friends are taking yeah. and you meet them during freshman orientation you meet them at like a low point in your life you meet them when you you're scrambling to get your fucking financial aid together you're trying to figure out if you want to be on campus or not you don't really have friends you don't really like the fucking group chants about you know how you feel and what group you're part of and the the fucking pet rally ass chant and you're just like fucking i'm doing whatever they're doing because this is what i'm comfortable with so I, I think that that's where I actually had an advantage in, yeah. in moving throughout See, my childhood. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like that's so I showed up at college, and I had all of that taken care of by day one. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't. So then I eventually was like, okay, wait a minute, motherfucker. I don't want to do none of this shit. So then by the time I was my junior year, it really ended up being my sophomore year because it has set me back. Because I, I was doing all my gen eds, but I also was taking some classes that I necessarily didn't need to take. But it was just like, oh, you take that, I'll take that. Oh, you take this, I'll take this. And then it was like, okay, motherfucker, you getting to your 300 level classes and I'm not even interested in this shit so then I had to make that transition but um man you got a lot going on man what are you like most excited about in your life today 
So today I, I'm really excited, not only for the entrepreneurial meetups that we're actually doing on a month to month basis mm -hmm. called Spark, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also interested, or I, I'm extremely excited about uh, Nomad. Uh, it's the magazine that I've been putting out and I've been detailing entrepreneurs that are actually going through these founding stages. So the whole idea and the whole premise of the magazine is actually detailing entrepreneurs that are taking that first step. Not only are you, uh, you, you may n be struggling in terms of actually taking that first step, but you're not really sure how to go from point A to point B. And so what Nomad does is we actually compile stories of entrepreneurs that have already faced kind of the same and similar issues mm -hmm. that you may be facing today. Um, and they can actually tell you what their first steps were to actually help you take your first steps. Right. So and what made you start like a, a magazine though? Like what made you st start Nomad the magazine? So the, the history behind Nomad is that um, when I graduated from college, I got to a job where it was product engineering, where basically I would commercialize products, uh, take them from concept to production. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it, it was basically just this process of commercialization. Right. Um, but trying to explain that to my family was a, a literal nightmare. So I would get phone calls basically on a day-to-day -day basis from relatives saying, and what is it that you're doing again? I heard all this stuff from your, your aunt and it's not just, it, it's not making sense. Tell me what you're doing again. And so I got sick and tired of actually trying to relay the information right yeah. and so what i did is i put together this christmas card and it was nomad the okay. magazine and uh nomad is actually a, a tribute to my father's ranch in texas called nomad's nook mm -hmm. so if you remember at the beginning of the interview i actually talked about how i moved around all those times so nomad's nook is kind of a tribute to my family saying you may be anywhere in the world but you always have this one place to come back to called Nomad's Nook. So when I actually made the transition from the family magazine or from this Christmas card over to a professional magazine mm -hmm. uh, where I was detailing entrepreneurs, I actually took Nomad into a metaphorical concept where Nomad, if you look at the definition in the Oxford Dictionary, it's this person that's constantly wandering, constantly shifting, and constantly uh, searching well nomad the entrepreneur is this person that's constantly changing constantly evolving and constantly pivoting their idea to actually come up with that next best thing right yeah so so nomad so the name was influenced by your dad's ranch why was it why was your dad's ranch called nomad's nook though that, that was just the name that he came up with. That's kind of crazy. Like, your dad is, like, the GOAT because, like, he, I mean, <laughs> you, you went into, like, engineering. You know, your dad set this, like, foundation and, and, and kind of influenced you to that. And then, like, give you, you drew that inspiration from the ranch back in, you know, Texas. So that's just, to me, that's just, like, your dad gets a lot of props. I mean, I hate to say it, but Pops is really the 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 goat in this situation. <laughs> um, so Nomad, I mean, obviously the person's always wondering, like, like what was like some of the when did, how long have you had Nomad the magazine? How long has it been around? Uh, so I started Nomad in when when I graduated basically, mm -hmm. which was May fourteenth, twenty sixteen, mm -hmm. and I released the first issue on January of twenty seventeen, and then I released the next issue, uh, which was still a Christmas card of January twenty eighteen, and then 
uh, I released the next issue, the third issue, uh, which is the one that you've gotten to see, mm-hmm. which is January of 2019. Okay. Man, I mean, that's, that's just crazy because, I mean, like, to start a magazine, I mean, you were from putting it on, like, a, a Christmas postcard or whatever the case may be to actually transition into making it. Am- oh, no, no, no. It wasn't just a Christmas postcard. It was a 100-page, basically, publication oh, showcasing... Shit all of my photography yeah. and articles that were actually written by me throughout the year. That's a big ass jump though from like getting like an engineering degree to like now putting out your own mag like magazine like like how did that process like even happen like what was the starting point like you just like fuck it I'm gonna just put out a ho- I mean cuz it's one thing to if it was like a little postcard that would be cool but like to actually start a whole 100 page magazine like that's like that pivot point is just like it just happened like that's a lot. Yeah, so in six, seven months of from graduation to putting out your first copy. Yeah. So I basically just said uh, this is what I'm going to do Mm -hmm. uh, because I I really, really wanted to not only have like a creative outlet, but I I wanted to be able to influence and impact my cousins in in a very targeted way. And so not only were the cousins actually uh, impacted by the articles, but they're, they're still influenced by what it is that I'm doing today. Right. Um, but Nomad in and of itself, the concept of what it is that Nomad is today started when I was actually in college. So at the university of Tulsa in Oklahoma, I wasn't the, the most, the, the brightest student on the block, I'll what? admit. Uh, but no way, not Justin. No, you had to be. I know. I have, <laughs> I am a perfect little angel. Dude, no, we're just, I'm just saying, like, we're sitting in, in your fucking, in your apartment with all these fucking, it's just like knowledge all over this place, <laughs> all these books. And like, anytime I ask you something, you're like, yeah, if you just look on uh, bookshelf number three here next to the, and it's underneath, like, that book right there. And I'm like, dog, how do you even know? So all these books, it's like, yeah, if you want to get that book over there, I'm like, damn. <laughs> Every time I say something, like, you got a book to reference it to which is i mean that's good so when when i was in college um yeah you have to actually get a degree you have to go through a certain number of courses right yeah and then if you break down the courses the courses are actually a very linear path Mm -hmm. you go from point a to point b and then you know a specific amount of knowledge the only problem is that i am either ADHD or ADD or I I just can't keep my attention on that single linear path Hmm. so I continued to deviate and so when I deviated from the path I would always ask these questions of the professor and the professor's like oh yeah I asked uh, you know I wrote about that in da 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 that thesis that I did like 26 years ago and I'd be like, well, I'm more interested in that than I am with what we're talking about right now and he's like no 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 we got to talk about this and so I, I just got bored and I would actually do poorly on my exams. Oh, yeah. So at the University of Texas in Arlington, when I was doing aeronautical engineering, not only was I actually taking these courses, I actually stopped studying for these exams because I was paying more attention and I was actually reading these technical papers that were being released by NASA. So oh, okay. NASA actually came out with these experimental aircraft like the, the B-1 through the B-22 or something like that. But they were doing flight concepts and aeronautical uh, sorry, air, air flows of engines in wings. Mm. So they were trying to figure out if there was actually any um, capability of actually having an airplane with an engine in the wing yeah. that could actually rotate like a helicopter. What the fuck? Yeah. And so you were interested in that shit? Yeah. 
Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm dead ass. Like I, I so I, for, for over a decade, um, and by over a decade, I mean at the age of 12, <laughs> I was actually trying to come up with concepts with my father for the flying car. How old are you now? 28. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over so a decade. So I have a full notebook filled with engineering concepts mm-hmm. and um, theorems in terms of how to come up with a flying car. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a company that a number of years ago, it was actually about two decades ago, called the Molar Sky Car. The Molar Sky Car, what the fuck is that? So the Molar Sky Car was actually the the concept or the, the idea for what a flying car could be. Oh, yeah. And the problem with it, it, it is a beautiful looking car. It is absolutely just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and I bet you that the, the concept would actually work today if there's enough uh, computer power that's actually in the vehicle. Uh, but that was the issue, is that there wasn't a, a something to, ki- to keep the car stable. Mm-hmm. So what you see with aircraft today is that they have a dihedral formation on their wings. So they actually keep it stable. The center of gravity on the wing uh, or on the fuselage of the aircraft actually keeps it uh, centered. Oh, that sounds like a foreign language dihesiveness of quadriplegic <laughs> stuff. <laughs> um, so, you, so, uh, so, <laughs> I don't believe I just quit quadriplegic. That's not right. Got, <laughs> just forgive me for uh, Jeff's and, um So you got your magazine, but how did like how did you start the magazine? Because a lot of people, I wouldn't know. Like I wouldn't know how to where the fuck to start for a magazine. Like I wouldn't. Shit. I mean. Me personally, not an actual magazine. Maybe like an online magazine would be a little easy for me, mm. but to actually start a magazine would be hard. Like, so how did you start a magazine? How did you start the magazine? So, when I was actually doing the family magazine, and I was basically just putting it together for my family, I set dates uh, and said, you know, I'm going to have this amount of content, and I'm going to have this amount of photos, and then I'll actually start working on the layout and in design, and actually start compiling. Uh, everything to get to a print issue uh, so it was basically just goal setting and dates so you but you but it was mainly like getting that content and having the pictures because once you have the content that's edited and you have the pictures you can then take the next step essentially yeah so the the first step was basically just content what was it that I wanted to actually tell my family and what kind of content did I actually want to share with them so once I actually figured out what that was then I just basically started writing it, it was basically just a journaling exercise on a day-to-day basis to actually get the content that was necessary for the magazine. Uh, the interesting though thing, though, is that when I switched from this Christmas card over to the professional magazine, and I started, uh, w- and I actually started saying, "Okay, so I want to release this many issues on a per-year basis." Uh, that's when things actually started to get a whole lot more complicated. Uh, so I actually needed to start scheduling out content and actually staging the content because not only was I actually wanting to professionally sell this magazine, right. uh, but I was also needing to actually stage the content for the next issue so that it was a continuous stream of information. So, I mean, I guess the the interesting or, or the transition from, okay, this is my life, you know, telling my family everything so they can keep up with me. At what point did you decide, you know what, I'm going to transition out to reaching out to other entrepreneurs to have them share their story within my magazine? Because at one point, I mean, I guess it gets to a point where it's like, okay, 
I mean, you can only do so much, travel so much, and your family can only be so excited for what you're doing. So now, um, in order to, to take that next step, like you transition to like bringing in other people. Like, how did you? Why? What made you start bringing other people to share their stories? Yeah. So in the second issue, I started actually putting down my thoughts. Wait. So the first issue was just all you. That's all your life and all your stories and your traveling. Yeah. So the first and second issue was all me. So it was all my photos. It was all my articles. It was all my writing. From uh, your perspective, not because I know you said now you do like yeah from from my perspective. Okay, gotcha. So with the the transition, the transition actually came when when someone came to me and they're like, you know, I really like the way that you actually start to to kind of lay out these business prospects and you lay out uh, how it is that someone should actually start a business. You should you should actually write more on that. Right. <clears throat> and. I, I didn't really actually see the, the viability of it, but people really, really liked the thoughts that I was actually putting into the Christmas card, basically. So I doubled the content, I doubled the amount of photos that was in the magazine, and I took it from a 100-page magazine over to a 220-page magazine, and I started printing these issues. The you only weren't even making money yet? No. I, I was purchasing these magazines and printing them on my own dime. Each copy cost me $60 for the, the second issue in 2018 mm. uh, just because it was such a large format magazine. Yeah. And so it got to a point where people were asking, uh, friends of friends of friends were actually asking for these magazines. And I started saying, I, I just, I can't actually keep up with the amount of money that it would need to be to actually print these magazines. So you're going to have to buy it. And these people were purchasing this magazine for $60. Damn. Yeah. And that's when I figured out, oh, there actually might be a business here. Right. Damn. I, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Because, I mean, to go from, like, just, you know, starting off a family and then it's like, okay, cool. People hearing these stories to now they want to, like, purchase it. When you first started, though, like, you, you didn't, you weren't, like, initially thinking, like, just make money, make money, turn this into a business. It was just a way for you to just kind of connect your family and keep them in a the loop. Exactly. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. And you weren't, it didn't bother you that you were spending money like to, to print out these magazines and you weren't making money. Like you were basically. No, it, it was just me sharing content that was a part of my life. I, I knew that I wanted to actually impact my cousins in a way that uh, I think that other families uh, don't necessarily think about. I, I mean, I guess that just happens with, or it's par for the course when it comes to me <laughs> yeah i mean i mean that makes sense like so 60 bucks that's a lot for a magazine though like that's a lot yeah and, and it was a print issue on a per magazine basis so with the printing industry is that uh if you print let's say that you print one magazine mm -hmm. and it's 60 dollars. you print 10 magazines and you get a price break gotcha. you print 100 magazines and you get another price break and then you get you print a thousand magazines and you get a huge price break. Right. But you didn't make it to that thousand. No, of yeah. course not. And yeah. I had no idea how many people were actually going to purchase this magazine. Yeah. So I was purchasing them on a one magazine basis. Oh, hell no. Yeah. I mean, but that comes with business, though, because, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't have never even known. Like, you had to learn that. You had to go through that shit to learn the, the process because, I mean, you didn't know. I mean, you go into the just just trying to connect with your family and keep them in the loop. Like, exactly. You know, yeah. to, to, to keep it monetized and to actually make money or even break even. Like, that's those are, like, things you had to go through to, to grow. But that that's insane. Why one magazine, like, 
one by one? Oh, it it was nuts. It was completely crazy. It, How much money do you think you like lost? Just ballpark, if you can think about five grand at least. Five. And in what time span? Like so, I had, that was over the course of six months. Five grand in six months. Because I had to purchase each one of those magazines. If you ever want to just lose five grand in six months, just I'm here. Just just give it to me. <laughs> Because I can, I can get, I could use five grand, but damn, I mean, but you graduated, how old were you when you graduated? Uh, 23. Damn, yes. I mean, you're a little dumb kid, really. I mean, mean, you're smart, but I mean, (laughs) you you, you knew the business and it wasn't even a business venture that you were expecting to take. So yeah, you're going to like, damn, 5,000 in six months. Yeah. And, uh, the, the crazy thing is that towards the end of it, people were actually purchasing the magazine, remember, because I, yeah. I couldn't keep up. So I, I was actually starting to ask for money or else they just couldn't get the magazine. Yeah. Like it got to the point or the threshold where I was saying, okay, fine, I lost five grand actually giving away this magazine because I wanted to actually share that those stories and that impact. Now it's gotten to a point where I, I, I can't actually keep up. You have to take on the burden of actually purchasing this magazine, and I will ship it to you. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, you were just showing me, and I didn't even notice what the last time we had did this interview. Um, you were showing me that you use what was that you used the, the the thing where like you keep everything organized, Zoomer or something, Zoolert. What was the thing you just showed me on your computer? Oh, Trello. Trello. I was off by T U V W X Y Z. I was <laughs> off by a couple letters. So so that helped you keeps everything organized what's the process for like doing the, like writing the magazine like start to finish because i don't know like i wouldn't know what the fuck to do so if anybody wants to start a magazine like what are they fucking or what's the process for you so the the process for for me remember that nomad is actually very uh it's content heavy yeah from the entrepreneur mm-hmm. so what we do is we we either get the entrepreneur to actually write an art well actually we get the entrepreneur to write the article and then from that, we have someone on our side that actually edits the article. So mm-hmm. it's content editing uh, from our side that actually helps the entrepreneur convey the story in a clear, concise format. But you don't change the story. We we don't change the story. We don't change the tone. We okay. allow the entrepreneur to actually speak how they speak. Right, yeah. And what this does is it provides a unique perspective, or at least we think. Yeah. And this is different from mainstream articles because if you look at a more mainstream magazine, um, typically what happens is they feature a company. So you, you only get quotes or blurbs about this company mm-hmm. and you only get the the founder, like five minutes of the, the founder's perspective, right? right? Yeah. And from the... <laughs> Typically, the article format is on day one, they had this idea and they hatched it in their garage. By day five, congratulations, they hit a billion dollar IPO. And you're like, how in the world did you go from day one to day five? Like, (laughs) what what happened? And it's crazy that you're, you're, you know, Nomad Magazine is like sharing like the journey, you know, the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, like the, the... that you showcase the success and that's cool. But what, as an entrepreneur, I want to hear the failures. I want to know like the bumps in the roads that I could potentially face being an entrepreneur. I don't, okay, you successful. Now, that's great. Don't make it seem like your success was overnight. And that's what a lot of people do. They showcase the success as it was an overnight success. And you went from point A to Z and it was just, it was just a smooth glory road. And that's like, no, I want to know how much fucking money get nitty gritty. What, how much money loot? Like, what are the pain points? Like, I want to know everything like, you know, cause I can potentially face this. So that's, what's going to motivate me you know as an entrepreneur and i'm sure it'll help other entrepreneurs if you hear like the real shit i don't want to hear the overnight success 
Because you see that in, like, the industry all the time with, like, anybody that's doing, like, acting or, you know, artists. You know, you you just see all the bullshit. You didn't see them hustling CDs out there trunk. You didn't see them fucking, get, you know, rapping at a small-ass venue with 10 people in the crowd. Like, and those 10 people were people that they brought with them. Like, So that's that's why I like to reference books is because yeah. the, the story of the pain and hardship of these entrepreneurs are actually clearly detailed in a lot of these books. Yeah. Like for example, there's one over uh, the Nike CEO and it talks about mm-hmm. the days where he, he was actually hustling shoes out, out of his, exactly. his car and that's the out real. of the trunk of his car. That's the real shit. Like that's, exactly. that's what I want to hear. And that's what I want to hear about as well, yeah. because there's a, there's a quote by Richard Branson and, and for him, apparently it was just a meteoric rise where he basically jumped in with both feet and then it was just, uh, a running dash mm. ever since then. Yeah. Well, for other entrepreneurs, it's not necessarily the jumping in with both feet that is actually the turning point. It's more the struggle up the hill exactly. and actually seeing the sunshine on the other side exactly. that actually is the turning point. Exactly. You have this meteoric mountain that you have to climb mm-hmm. before you actually see the success. Exactly. And if you're not prepared for it, then you're you're not going to survive. Yeah. So so Nomad the Mag, um, is interesting. I mean, last time we spoke about it, I mean just some of the articles that were included, but like what are some of like your favorite articles from your most your most recent one? your most recent issue. So you were, you were actually talking about, you want to actually hear the, about the failures yeah. of particular entrepreneurs yeah. and two articles immediately came to mind. Uh, the first one is actually in the January, 2019 issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it talks about, um, a good friend of mine who I've known since I actually moved back from the middle East to Texas. Uh, he's still living in Fort Worth, Texas as a day trader. Okay. Uh, but his story is pretty intense actually so he dropped out of college he moved in with this stranger his mentor Mm -hmm. to actually learn about day trading in the financial industry yeah uh, and actually get experience under this mentor and how to invest in startups how to invest in companies how to run companies and basically get him on his feet Mm. and he thought that this practical experience was actually going to help deliver um help get him prepared for the real world. Mm -hmm. Well, it came to a point where his mentor was actually trying to funnel him into one of his businesses. And so he dropped out of the mentorship because he didn't want to get funneled into a business. And so he dropped out, started his own day trading firm. And now he teaches financial literacy to high schoolers. Oh, that's sweet. See, I mean, I think that's important too. Cause I mean, I don't think growing up, I mean, they don't teach financial literacy. Like they teach all this shit that you, I'm not going to say like, it's not applicable to like real life situations, but most of this shit not applicable to real life situation. They teach all this shit. Like teach me how to do taxes, motherfucker. Teach me the importance about finances. Like, you know, teach me budget and like, don't, don't just teach me fucking the, uh, Pythagorean theorem and shit. I'm not about to use that shit. I'm not personally. Don't teach me <laughs> about fucking, I don't even, you know, photosynthesis. I'm not going to use that shit. You know, teach me about the shit that I'm going to be able to use. Like, it's, it's just so crazy. So for him to be doing that, who who is that? Like, who, who, which article was that? Albert Tristan. Albert Tristan. Like, and then um, the second article that I was thinking about was actually Austin Green's article. And it mm-hmm. was talking about um, his company, which is BlinkSync Technologies. And he he basically started this company 
to can I guess what kind of company that is? Yeah, please. Um, so I'm Blink Sync. That's like if you get chemicals in your eyes and you need to wash your eyes out, like at a chemical station. Oh, that's a really good guess. That's incorrect, though. So what? can I get one more guess, though? <laughs> sure. Blink Sync. Okay, if I could, this could be important though. Like, if I hear a company name, I hope his logo matches Blink Sync. So, if I'm a Blink Sync, um, if, if you blink before you know it, like he teaches you how not to sink in a business, is that close? Oh, uh, no. Okay. So, <laughs> well, go ahead, tell me about Blink Sync. So, Blink Sync actually does predictive analytics, they came up with a wearable technology glasses headset, kind of like Google Glass, mm. but they'll measure eye movements in commercial drivers to make sure that they're not fatigued. Holy shit, yeah! So, sweet. His, his program this on Instagram, you said Blink Sync, Blink Sync Technologies. And that's on Instagram. I just want to see right now. Yeah. So he, what he does or his business is basically just uh, commercial drivers will actually wear this glasses headset. Mm-hmm. And once the driver actually becomes fatigued, then the glasses send a signal over to headquarters. And then from that, the driver has the option of either getting off the road or not. But if they don't get off the road, then they may not get a bonus because they got into oh, a car wreck yeah. or they they could get a, an additional fatigued bonus by actually making the decision and saying, oh, I'm fatigued. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make my time or my timeline, but I don't want to get into a car wreck, so I'm going to pull off and actually take a 15-minute nap. Oh, so sync as in S-Y-N-C. That's correct, See, I'm yes. thinking like sync as in like a... Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I got that from your, you, your second guest. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. So Nomad, so what I like about Nomad, you're showcasing all this, and you're showcasing the failures and the, the actual journey Um but I mean, your your magazine. I mean, from going from sixty dollars to, um, you said you get a price back, so you cut that in half to thirty, and then you get another price back to fifteen. Or mm-hmm. so so if if I'm a consumer, like why would I purchase your magazine over any other magazine? They got some really good magazines out there. So what's the value to me? Like what's the benefit to me? Well, I, I mean, it was it was like we were talking about earlier with. Uh, other entrepreneurial magazines. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if you're trying to start a business or not, which you are. Right. You want to know exactly what's happening with entrepreneurs between day one to day five. You you don't really care about the business in and of itself. I mean, it may be some great idea in genetics or something like that that's mind-blowing. Right. Okay, fine. Those are interesting ideas, but when it comes to actually running your business and actually getting yourself off the ground... You want to know what happens between day one and day five before right. the company IPO'd. Right. I mean, there's an incredible amount of business pivots or there's an incredible amount of investments that actually flow into the company that actually drives that profit and that scale. How do you how do you get to that point? Like mm. what, what kind of emotional fatigue and work goes into going from day one to day five? It's crazy to me too because it's like, that that element of in the transparency of business owner entrepreneurs like that adds value like if if you're if if nomad the mag is providing you know you know what a lot of people say is free game if they're providing free game and you know hearing these journeys like that's great because i feel like a lot of companies and a lot of a lot of business owners up-and-coming entrepreneurs they get to a point where they have like this access to information 
and you know they could help someone and i'm not even asking for money i'm just saying well how did you do it i'm not even asking for money i just want to know how you did it and they have this access to information and they're holding it instead of like putting it out there to possibly help somebody get to the next level they're harnessing this information and keeping it for themselves so it's like yeah if i give you this information i'm gonna be on top you gonna you gonna be my competition like you could potentially be a competitor but the value added is if you want to do something and i tell you you know what i've learned i could then even if i do outgrow you i could be like you know hey when i was up and coming I remember Justin, you know, he gave me, you know, he laid the foundation for me and he helped me do X, Y, and Z. So when you get to a point where it's like, okay, cool. Um, I read, you know, Albert Tristan's um, story and he kind of, his story inspired me to do X, Y, and Z. Well, boom, there's, there's his credit. Like, I mean, and, and he doesn't want any money or anything, but he helped you go to the next point. And I think that as value being an entrepreneur, I don't think you should harness this information and keep it from people. And a lot of people do. So your magazine is perfect for showcasing people's journeys and inspire, using it to inspire somebody to go to the next level. Well, not only that, but what I'm finding is that uh, and there's a there's an incredible number of business cases that actually support this this concept. Mm-hmm. It's that if you actually help another individual somehow what goes around comes around exactly and so the help that you actually give another person actually comes back around and helps you so i want to be successful therefore i'll help you be successful yeah and not only that but what's interesting about the articles that are in nomad is that the people who have actually read the articles want to get into contact with these entrepreneurs. Uh, and that's exactly what we're we're attempting to do. And I was going to say, like, is, I mean, that's another value added. Like, when I asked the question earlier, like, what, what value, like, what, why would I purchase the magazine? If you have, you know, access to the, these people and you, you're, you're closely connected to them and you start this entrepreneurship group where you, okay, cool. I might not need you to speak for me. I might need you to just put me in contact with them. And I was just talking um, to Nick about this earlier. Like, I just need you to just connect me. Hey, I know this guy, you know, I, I really think you guys will connect well. Cause I mean, some people won't like respond to email or some people won't, you know, reach out if they don't know who you are, they don't know your credibility. But if you've already connected with them, you say, Hey, well, I know this other person, you guys share similar path, similar story. He's at this point in his entrepreneurship career or journey. And this is where you are. I'm going to, link you guys together that's another value like if you can continuously do that with the magazine where even if you grow it creates a a a culture and an environment where i have access to these other entrepreneurs where i'm not losing like you know uh uh motivation because it's like okay cool i read the article great whatever Ooh, now what's the next step the next step could be to actually link them two together or link a little community together and start growing spark so the, the idea is that you're immediately taking a person who you could have been cold calling right and actually exactly. turn them into a warm lead and so if you can actually make that cold call a warm lead then you have an exponential See, yeah. percentage of success and i rather that that i rather not like i was telling you earlier, like okay some people that i reach out to and they may email me back or they may not email me back or they may give me a yes but there's no follow-through that cold card call part like if you can eliminate that and get you know you can eliminate that then now it's like, okay cool their barriers a little broken so now i have a better chance to respond and actually wanting to work with me because it's not a cold call or i don't know you're not just a stranger exactly so yeah so now i like i like that about you know if you know that you're building on that and you're not just having a magazine it's more than a magazine it's a community you also send out those every friday five um 
Five things to think about. Five things to think about. I, that's that's great because I look and I'm like, damn. Um, who else? There's um there's another uh, I listen to this podcast. Uh, Tim Ferriss. Yes. Tim Ferriss. He also uh, does something like that. He, but he's like the only way. I mean, the only way you'll have access to this information if you you know subscribe to. This. He's not putting it out on anything else. He's only putting it out. You know, if you subscribe to that little, you know, that newsletter, and it's like, that's great because you can't get it anywhere else. It's not like he putting it on the website. Or put, he, you can only get it if you get that newsletter. So it's like, okay, this is and it's five things. Think about that's important. Like that's huge because it's things that, you know, that that you wouldn't normally think about as an entrepreneur or you know as a you know on your journey. And these are things you've had to think about. These are things that you constantly are are the wheels turning because you've encountered all these entrepreneurs and you've heard a million story, not a million, but you've heard all these stories and you've had to curate them and and and, and look at them and put them into a video form. So I think that's great. Five things to think about Friday. Not the the idea behind the five things to think about. Um, from my perspective mm-hmm. was uh, I wanted to be able to broaden an entrepreneur's perspective, yeah. but I also wanted to give you guys links and resources that I have found uh, that have helped me become successful. Mm-hmm. And by helped me become successful, uh, they basically have answered a number of personal questions that I've actually asked myself. Yeah. And so from those personal questions that I've asked myself, I have basically started reading books, which is why I reference these books. It's because not only do I know the information inside the book, uh, but it, I I basically know the framework of each of the books. So I can tell you in digest in a, basically a digestible way, Mm -hmm. what it is that the book was saying, because for some reason I've interconnected the books in in a very, um, connected way. So with the five things to think about, not only do I try to showcase some of the writing that I'm putting onto nomads website, nomadthemag.com, but I I'm also wanting to show that being an entrepreneur is not just a linear process to go from A to B. It's a very, (laughs) it's a very sinusoidal wave. And you go one direction and then you pivot and you go the next direction. And then from some reason you get to point B and it's somehow linear compared to point A. So speaking about pivoting, like what's, um, well, I mean, I do want to talk about like the next step in, in Nomad, um, but I also want to reference, cause I know we spoke earlier and you were just saying that, um, you know, you, you're going to these co-working spaces. I know you, um, um, mentioned in the last interview that you were doing work with like the Ruth Ellis um, Foundation or something like that. Um, so one, you know, what partnerships are you working on to make that next step um, in Nomad? Like what partnerships or what are you working on to get to that next step to, to help your five year plan or your 10 year plan, you know, manifest? Right. So for. I guess the top three things for Nomad today in terms of the five-year plan, mm-hmm. one is actually developing relationships with co-working spaces here locally in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So I've basically centered hubs for Nomad uh, in Fort Worth, Texas, uh, Detroit, mm-hmm. and Toronto. Okay. So a bunch of these contacts that I have are in these three locations. And so I've basically been trying to develop these relationships with co-working spaces because it's funneling content 
uh, of entrepreneurs into the magazine. So it's an easy way for me to actually get the content necessary to, to keep putting out really good stuff. Right. Yeah. But not only that, but I'm working on partnerships to actually help get the magazine back into a print issue. Mm -hmm. So currently the, the magazine is actually a digital copy and it's only a digital copy because I, I just don't have the funds to available to actually sell the magazine. Um, at the price that I want. Right, yeah. And so if I sell the magazine at the price that's necessary, then a lot of people get turned off and then the brand loses its... Credibility. Or no, not necessarily the credibility, but its value. Value. So the very people that I'm trying to market to are entrepreneurs that are bootstrapping for their business. So the, the price point that I have is, is very narrow mm. in, in terms of actually being able to reach these people. And if I go above that point, then people are like, I, I just, I, it, it, it could provide all the value in the world for me. Mm -hmm. I just can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so what do you see for no man in the next five years? Like, what do you, like, what's your vision or what do you hope to do in the next five years? So in the next five years, I really want to take nomad from, uh, not only this nascent publication, but mm -hmm. I, I actually want to make it a, a monthly publication that can put out stories as reference material for entrepreneurs. And so the, the idea is kind of like something that Sean McComb has actually been doing with um, his business. Sean Puffy Combs? No, 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 no. Sean, <laughs> Sean McComb is actually a, a guy that wrote a book called uh, Over, Overlay. Okay. <laughs> and he talks about actually taking the first step towards starting your own business, right? So a, a person that actually has a nine to five can start their own business and they can take the first steps to actually start that business. And that's exactly what Nomad is actually telling stories about. It's just traditional people, typical people that have a nine to five job who are actually starting their business on the side and hustling their way to get to a point, a tipping point where they can actually quit their nine to five job and actually take it on full time. Hmm. So, so, um, to me, I mean, I, I, that's what being entrepreneurs and I like that that's what you're trying to do with your magazine if you could like use your your journey um from you know not being an entrepreneur to being an entrepreneur from the ups and downs like if you could use your journey to influence somebody to to take that first step like what was some things you want them to take away in order to like take that first step so the uh, I guess the first thing that I would really want them to take away mm -hmm. is that starting a business is not jumping in with both feet. Mm -hmm. It's more like dabbling in the shallow end before you actually have to start swimming. You really, really, really want to prove out your concept before you get to a point where you've sunk in too much cash. Because if you sink in too much cash and you're all in, then the first sign of trouble, you've already sunk your boat. And you don't want to do that. Right. So what you do is you actually start in the shallow end. You prove out your concept very small and you work your way up from that small concept into your profitable venture. Most likely the, the first concept that you have is not going to be profitable and that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's really okay. The second time you basically pivot your business and you say, ah, I don't really like that concept or making cash is actually just going to be this way. And I have this idea. You check out the idea. You prove out the idea. And if it works, then it works. And then you can move on to the deeper end mm -hmm. and you go from there. Mm. So that's the first idea. The second idea that I think that people really need to take away 
is that starting a team is not necessarily the most important thing, but you want to make sure that the team that you have has a very good structure. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean not necessarily a hierarchy because there's a lot of ways that you can actually structure your organization, but you want to have a, a good leader, someone who's either the idea founder or someone who has a clear cut vision. Because if you don't have someone that actually has the vision and you all share the vision, then I'm sorry, you're not going to go anywhere mm. and you might as well quit now. Mm. But if you have someone that actually has the vision or they're the director when it comes to the train, then you're going to go in a particular direction. So just make sure that it's a good leader. Yeah. And the third thing, the third thing is that, <laughs> uh, and I have a friend who lives in Vancouver. Uh, he's actually working for a tech startup in Boston at the moment. Mm. And he would always tell me uh, ABC. So every time we saw each other, it would always be ABC. And it stands for always be closing. Mm. So you're, you're in this to make money. So always be closing the deal come up with your 30 second pitch, pitch mm. it to everyone, you know, isolate your audience and make sure that you get that money. Yeah. <laughs> get that money. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I definitely want to, you know, thank you for not, not only doing an interview one time, but doing an interview, um, a second time. And even, I think this one was a, was a lot better. I think, um, the first time it was like, we didn't really know each other personalities and, it was like water and oil. And I think, I, no, it, it, it was just like, but I think this time through, um, after having our, our, our entrepreneur meetups with Spark and, and, and doing that, I think we kind of found points where we can like mesh together. Um, and, and, but that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. And there's, there's going to be ups and downs. and There's going to be points where, you know, you don't agree with me. I don't agree with you. I mean, even though, you know, Daniel Detroit Doe like came in and he was just like, you know, just pointing out X, Y, and Z. And he was giving credit where it was due, but it was just like, you need, you need that. You need that. You need that oil. You that need, feedback. Yeah. You need it. Really, really need that feedback. It helps you pivot. So, you know, when, when you, when you hit someone's pain points and you tell them, okay, this is what you need to do. Or it's like, I, I, like it, it can be scary. And some people want to pull out of the race, but if you want to go to the next, you know, part with your business and pivot and go to the next part, you need someone to tell you like X, Y, and Z. You need somebody to be on the outside looking in, um, so, you know, I think us having that, that first meeting, like, really was, like, a point where, okay, that kind of broke. opening experience. It kind of broke the ice for everybody because it's like, okay, this guy just came in and cracked the whip. So, at this point, so anything, yeah, anything you say or anything I say is going to be, okay, he's already, like, chewed us chewed us out so it's like okay you know what you need to do to get to the next level and it was nothing like we didn't you know it was some things to think about like damn i never even thought about that and we all had that experience we're like damn this is good that's good okay it was nothing that was like okay this guy's just coming in he's being a dick like it was like you need those to to you know you need that to hit your pain receptors to be like fuck oh there's a fire i need to get out of the fire and and you know make it out so that's what you need to go to the next level. You need to do it. So the way that I would describe it is the same way that Donald Rumsfeld would actually describe it. Who? 
Donald Rumsfeld. I thought you said Donald Trump on my goddamn podcast. I'm about to cut this motherfucker off. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Donald Donald Rumsfeld actually was uh, the Secretary of Defense during uh, George W. Bush's presidency. Bro, you know so much. You you and Anthony. Shout out to Anthony. You know what? For those who <laughs> Anthony is the real um, brains of the operation. Like Justin is just like he's a he's a wannabe. He's an imposter. Like Anthony. <laughs> Anthony is the real <laughs> deal. Holy fucking field. They they both know too fucking much. Anyway, go ahead. Just so back back to Donald Rumsfeld. So Donald Rumsfeld, he had this very very uh, famous speech mm-hmm. during his term, and um, the the speech was talking about the known unknowns. Mm-hmm. So they were talking about. Uh, um, uh, <sighs> Gosh, mm. it's it's I've, war warheads in Iraq, but it was oh weapons of mass destruction, so w, WMD. So are we talking? Okay, you said Donald Warren. That sounds like George W. Bush. No, weapons no, no, of no, mass no, no. Destruction, So there, there's Iraq. Donald Rumsfeld, who okay. was the Secretary of Defense, and he was giving a speech to the press mm. about WMD in Iraq. Okay, and so he was talking about known unknowns. So. There are the known... Remember, the Secretary of Defense lives in the Pentagon, so the Pentagon has all the intelligence information. So when it came to sharing that intelligence with the press, the press was asking the question of, you know, why haven't we found the WMDs in Iraq? Hmm. And so... It's because they don't want you to find it. So... Exactly. So Donald Rumsfeld was trying to impart this information to the press in a digestible, uh, in a a basically a quotable fashion so that they could get their soundbite. And so the way that he was actually sharing the information, and it's really interesting because I'm going through a series of books that's actually talking about uh, not only how you actually share information, but the message in which you share it. So there's a book called The President's Message, and it talks about the writers and how they actually write these speeches for presidents to share it with the public and the tone in which they actually share it. So Donald Trump has a different type of speech compared to George W. Bush Mm. or Bill Clinton Mm. or Abraham Lincoln. And it's based on the Are these all Republicans? Lincoln wasn't. No, Bill Clinton was a a Democrat. Democrat. What the fuck was Lincoln, though? Lincoln was a conservative, yeah. But the conservative party was actually the Democrat Party at okay. the, during that time frame. All right, cool. Yeah. So, any, anyways, it it has to do with a number of factors. Anyways, so Donald Rumsfeld was giving this speech on known unknowns, mm-hmm. and he was talking about there's the known knowns, and this is where it comes back to the entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. So, with an entrepreneur who just graduates from college, aka me. Mm-hmm. There are the known knowns. So there are the things that I know that I know when it comes to starting and running a business. Mm -hmm. There are the things that I know that I don't know when it comes to running a business. And that's where all these books actually come in is that those are the personal questions that I asked myself and said, I don't have the answer. So I started researching them for myself. And then there's the third group and it's the unknown unknowns. There are the things that I don't know. That you don't know. Exactly. You, and so I like that. And so for me, if I actually read all these books, mm-hmm. then I start to ask more personal questions. Yeah. And then I start to fill in the gaps of the things that I know I don't know. Yeah. 
I mean, I like it's like I like that saying, like you don't know what you don't know. Like you don't, you really don't. It's so much stuff to know. You just don't know what you don't know. Like that's <laughs> insane. But no, I, mean, I definitely want to thank you for, um, like I said, doing an interview not once but twice, um, providing content and sharing your journey. You know, of the Nomad Mag, um, to starting a, a entrepreneurship group, Spark, to fucking, um, you know, using your journey to inspire others. Like it's just insane. Where can people like find find the magazine on social media on the internet where can they find you if they want to reach out to get some fucking business advice and all that other good shit yeah so uh, i think that the best way to actually find me mm-hmm. is through the facebook page so mm-hmm. facebook.com slash nomad the mag mm-hmm. uh, on instagram we're nomad the mag mm-hmm. and then on twitter we're also nomad the mag mm-hmm. and then if you want to reach out to me personally it's justin at nomadthemag.com and the website is and you guessed it nomadthemag.com <laughs> nomad the mad man justin the founder of nomad the magazine um i just want to thank you for coming out you know speaking on knowledge under the influence um once again i'm your host martez recently i just changed my instagram i separated my instagram from like I made a personal page so not my my instagram is still martez underscore for show but it's f a s-h-o-o because once i made that transition they wouldn't let me just use one o because they was like this name is already taken i'm like yeah bitch it's taken by me <laughs> so when i did that transition so follow me on instagram um martez underscore for show <laughs> with two o's uh thanks for listening man and stay tuned <laughs>